Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 6, 2016. The share ID for Friday, November 4th, is 9235. That's 9235. This morning, A Vision for You presents our daily design for living. Now that we have taken steps three and four and decided to put the program of recovery to the test, we are ready to go into action. That just happens to be the title of Chapter 6, Into Action. In this chapter, we are given the directions, the prayers, and the promises for Steps 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Having followed the clear-cut directions presented in the 24 pages of Chapter 6, we are promised that we will have a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. The only way to see if that will prove true for us, as it did for the authors, recovered alcoholics who pen these pages of this book, is to do what they report they did. With step four, we have taken only the first action step. Now it is time for action and more action. Joining us this morning to take a close look at Chapter 6, Into Action, and develop its contents is Kim G. Kim is both a student and a teacher of the Big Book, and it's with great pleasure that I welcome her today. Good morning to you, Kim. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. I love that student and teacher. That's exactly how I feel about this Big Book. So excited to present this chapter today because I have to tell you, as someone who's been around the rooms for many, many years, I really thought that just maybe reading the steps or agreeing with the steps was actually doing the steps. And uh, this chapter really tells me not only describes steps 5 through 11, but it, it really emphasizes the actions we need to take if we want to have the results that the big book is giving us. So Leah kind of did it, but I want to bring us back to you know, what have we done prior up to this point? Because I have to tell you too, you know, I was confused how to work the steps in the big book because I grew up using the OA 12 and 12 where step one was chapter one, step two was chapter two, and I open up this big book and I don't see a chapter that says step one, a chapter that says step two. So if you want to go back to the table of contents, which is on Roman numeral five in the fourth edition, let's look at the work that we've done up to this point which brings us to step five. So if we go there, the doctor's opinion tells us the true nature of our illness. It gives us a medical definition of who we are as a compulsive overeater, that we have an allergy of the body, that once we ingest certain substances, not all foods, but certain foods, certain ingredients, that we have what's called a phenomenon of craving. And once I cannot reasonably predict how much I'm going to have once I ingest that. And secondly, I have this mental obsession. I have the mind that I have the inability to remember. I have the, um, a mind that's always going to tell me it's okay to pick up the foods I'm allergic to. And after getting, gaining that knowledge, I moved to Bill's story because now that I understand the medical diagnosis, what does it look like in a human being? Can I identify in as having this disease? So I ask myself as I read Bill's story, I forget he's a guy, I forget it's World War I, I forget it's the 1930s, and I ask myself, did I eat like Bill drank? 
Did I think like Bill thinks? And do I feel like Bill felt? And then when I identify in, I'm now moved to the next chapter, there is a solution. And there is a solution talks a lot about who I am not. Because to know who I am, I have to know who I am not. And it talks about the moderate eater who can take it or leave it alone. It talks about the hard eater who, gives, given sufficient reason, can stop or moderate. If I can identify into those two groups, I may not need to do the steps. And then comes the chapter more about alcoholism, which tells me why I need to do the steps. This is a story about what my real, true nature is. Because my real problem isn't when I'm eating. My real problem is when I'm not eating. And this chapter develops four stories about not people who are drunk and can't get sober, but people who are sober and make the insane decision to pick up. And that was something after 17 years in OA where I was relapsing over and over started to really get me uncomfortable. You're right. I can get abstinent. The problem is I can't stay abstinent. Why can't I stay abstinent? Because of this mental twist. And those are the step one chapters. Then we move into there is this, um, to we agnostics, which is step two. And I thought step two was I had to believe in a guy, which was easy because I went to religious school for 12 years. Of course I believe in God. But no, this chapter is not about teaching us to believe in the God. This chapter is trying to teach us, do we need a power? Whatever that power is for us, do I need a power? Does my hopelessness of the prior four chapters convince me that I need a power? And that's all that's necessary to move forward into how it works. And how it works is step three, which once again, on my old ideas, I thought step three, I turned my life and my will over to God. I don't do that in step three. What I look at in step three is what is life like when I'm living on Kim's power? When, I, when I'm selfish and self-centered, I'm having this self-imposed crisis. What is life like when Kim's the manager of her life? And in learning what that's like, I make a decision to learn how to do, learn how to turn my life and my will over to God. And that is where I am introduced to step four, which is the beginning of the inventory process. If you had asked me, Kim, have you done your inventory? I would have said yes, not understanding. All I did was a bunch of journaling. All I did was a bunch of writing. The inventory process is four through nine. So we have to get through into the chapter, into action. So in step four, we're asked to write three inventories. We're asked to write a resentment inventory, which is who I'm mad at. I'm pretty good at that. A fear inventory and a sex conduct inventory. And now that we have those lists together, which honestly, we could have done all this stuff in, in the privacy of our own home. Now in step five, I'm being asked to go out into the world. I'm having to include another human being, and that's where we're going to start our journey today. So if you want to open up to page 72, it says in here, having had made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, which is step two, and a new relationship, which is step three, with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path, which is that fourth column. So after we've done those things, we are now poised to start working our step five. And once again, that, that is step four through nine, is that inventory process. And in that second paragraph, it says, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. And that's why we need another recovered person. We need someone who can be objective about our life. You know, I have to tell you, that is true for me in step 10. I can do an inventory of my step 10 inventory, and I can't see it because I'm wrapped up in my own mind. 
But when I talk to another recovered person, they're able to help me work through that inventory. And that's why we need that, that outside person. You know, I think about selling a house. You know, when you sell your house, what do you do? You get a third-party appraiser because you are emotionally invested in your house. So you need someone to come in and say, I'm sorry, miss, I know you think your house is worth $300,000, but all I can tell you is you have three bedrooms, two baths, 1,200 square feet, this much of a lot, you live in this school district, the, the um, price of this house is $220,000. I need that objectivity in my life in step five, and I need it in step 10. So what if we don't do that? Maybe we just want to give it to God, which I thought was an option. I'm just going to write my inventory. I'm just going to share it with God. I don't need to include that other person. And it's letting us know about five lines up from the bottom of 72. The best reason, if first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. I often lose people in steps four to five. Very common. I, a friend of mine calls it the four-step fadeaway. So if I skip this vital step, I'm not going to get over drinking. So let's turn to page 73. Let's see other consequences if we stay in this muck. So that sec first full paragraph, these two paragraphs are very powerful. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents a stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. That describes specifically my college life. I knew I was a piece of crap. But if I can make you believe I have value, then I have value. And I didn't just have a double life. I had like a quadruple octopus type life. My, co my college roommate actually called me the chameleon, and I was proud of it. But I realize now looking back how sad that was. Because I learned as a child, if you become what other people want you to be, they won't leave you. So depending on who walked in that dorm room, I would become a totally different person. And that's a very dangerous place to live. So what happens when we live that double life? The next paragraph, the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. And I have to tell you, this is not just when I'm eating. Some of the worst damage I did was when I was sober, because I can't handle being abstinent. I am not a nice person when being abstinent. I swear people want to throw candy bars at me sometimes, because I was so unmanageable when I was abstinent. And when they talk about these sprees, I like to go back. And once again, like I said, I'm a student. I like to go back to these paragraphs as a recovered woman because I've been abstinent and recovered now for almost six years. I, I haven't had a spree on food in six years. So what are the sprees I do today? Maybe I'm on an anger spree. Maybe I'm on a, um, you know, a shopping spree. Maybe I'm on a resentment spree. And if I am doing that, I am jeopardizing my my sobriety. And that's why this inventory process is so necessary, not just when we go through it the first time, but that we implement these in steps 10 and 11. So once we find out, we know we're, we're ready to do these, this step five, and this is just what I always like to separate my opinion. What I do with the girls that I work with is the moment I start to give four-step instructions, we make an appointment for the fifth step because it's uncomfortable to be in that fourth step. So let, let's 
put a date there so you know how long you have to be uncomfortable. For me personally, it's seven to ten days. That's the longest let people stay in there because if we're living in the muckety-muck of the fourth step, we are very vulnerable to picking up. So let's get through this. Let's make an appointment and let's not waste any time. And the way that the big book presents it, which I find is most helpful, is it lets us know on page 75 when we decide who is to hear our story, waste no time. We've written, have a written inventory and prepared to have a long talk. And this is my opinion again, but I see a lot of trends where people are parsing their fourth step. They're giving three resentments here, three resentments there. I'm doing the resentment separate from the fear, separate from the sex conduct. If that works for you, great, do it. But it's not the instructions in the big book. And I'll just tell you from a sponsor's perspective, I find it very difficult to take a fifth step that way because what I'm trying to do is discover patterns. And how can I discover patterns if you're only piecemealing what you want to tell me? That's also another reason when you give your fourth step to different people, it's kind of hard for the person taking your fifth step to see a clear picture of what your character defects are. So we sit down for that long talk, and at the end of it, what we do is we read these fifth step promises. There's promises throughout these books, this book. I've been only about the ninth step ones for many years. These fifth step ones are huge. So what I do is I go through these with the people I work with, and I ask them, to spend that week in meditation, maybe take a line, maybe take the whole paragraph, and then also to when you are when you are realizing this experience you have, call a newcomer, share that experience. I don't know about you, but even when I go on vacation, I love my vacation, but you know what's fun is coming back and talking about the vacation because it becomes more exciting and more depth and weight as I talk about my vacation. It's the same thing with these steps. We don't sponsor until after we've had a spiritual experience in step 12. But we can share our experience, our strength, and our hope as we go through this, this, this book. So if you've had a fifth-step experience, please call newcomers. Tell them what that's like. Help break those old ideas that you have to stay in a fourth step for two years. Tell them that you were doing it for two weeks or three weeks or, in my case, seven to ten days. Give people hope. So it says on page 75, that second paragraph, we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken the step withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. That was the biggest promise for me because, once again, I'm the chameleon. When I'm talking to you, I'm not even paying attention to what you're saying. I'm trying to remember all the lies that I've told you, who I'm supposed to be in front of you. I'm preparing what I'm going to say so I can impress you so you'll like me. And I went through this process, and I realized it was okay to be him. I can just relax and be me. And when I could do that, I could look you in the eye, and I could start paying attention to you. And I started to like people. And I started to realize I had good people in my life that I never knew I had. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we are going to begin to have a spiritual experience. So for me, how that manifested is, you know, I, I went to this specific church on Sundays at 11.15 a.m. in Morristown, New Jersey, and that's the only place I knew I could talk to God. And I had a lot of rituals I had to do before I was even allowed to talk to God. Suddenly, it stopped being this ritual and started to be an experience. I started to realize I had access to this power on a 24-7 basis. I started to feel it and not just intellectualize it. We've, um, the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. 
Honestly, for me, that didn't happen until step nine. So that's why we have to check our own personal experience. We feel we're on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. So for me, how that happened, it was I started to feel a part of OA. I started to feel a part of my family. I started to feel a part of my social group because I wasn't feeling separate like I had to protect myself because people weren't going to like me anymore. And after that, we have the next paragraph, which gives us some instructions about taking an hour to reflect on the first five proposals, which are the first five steps. And we thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. To me, that's the fifth step prayer. Now, why is that? Why am I beginning to know him better? Because I found out that I was blocked. And what am I now doing? I'm removing those blocks. And I have to tell you, I often use this as a 10-step prayer, too. Because when I do the 10 step, I'm removing more blocks from my higher power. So I thank God from the bottom of my heart, I know him better. And then it's asking us to reflect. Is our, is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimmed from the cement? I look at it, and I have to do once again, I do this in my step 11 as well. Am I too heavy on fellowship and not enough in the step work? Maybe I'm too heavy in steps 10 and 11 and in self-analysis. And maybe I'm not doing enough step 12 and helping other people. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe I'm doing so much sponsoring that I'm ignoring the work of 10 and 11. This is a good place for us to check how, those, how that is there. And then we go into page 76, which is steps 6 and 7. Now, once again, this is my experience. I complicated the crap out of 6 and 7. I used to, and this is just for me, I was told to write a list of my defects, I was supposed to write a list of my opposites, I'm supposed to practice my opposites, and all this stuff. And the six and seven is very simply, I'm acknowledging those things that are blocking me, which is my fourth column, and I've gone over that now with the recovered person, and I'm asking God to remove them. Because I'm admitting in step three, I can't do it on my own. So what makes me think in six and seven I can do it now? So I don't practice the opposite. I ask God to remove my defect. It says on 76, um, it says we admitted what was objectionable. Well, let me tell you, if I, before doing this work, if I tried to do six and seven and you said, Kim, what are some of your assets? I would have said, well, I'm pretty self-sufficient. I'm independent. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. And I find out in my step five, those are some of my biggest liabilities. That's the things that are blocking me that I think I can do this on my own. Because if we cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. That's the six-step prayer. Because I'm scared. I don't know how to act without these, these, these protective armor that I've been wearing for 40, 40 years or whatever. And then we get to the seven-step prayer. When ready, we say something like this. This is the second paragraph on page 76. My creator... I just want to stop there because this is powerful to me. This is something in the last year I'm starting to read differently. What I recognize is I create chaos. If I create chaos, I need another creator. And that's why I love the word my creator. My creator. I am not only to have all of me, good and bad. Once again, I don't know. I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. Some of my assets are my liabilities. Some of my liabilities are my assets. I'm not going to be the arbiter of that anymore. I'm just going to turn it all over to my creator. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. So I thought you had to give up your entire personality in steps six and seven. It's telling me only those defects of character which are blocking me, which means some of my character defects may not be blocking me. 
God uses my character defects. You know, I, I'm someone who listens to a lot of po- podcasts, especially AA podcasts, and there's certain speakers, I wish I was more like them. I really do. But I realize that's not who I am, and God's going to use me for my talents and my deficits. And those people who um, can learn from me are going to be attracted to me. And thank God we have a fellowship, for example, and a vision for you with such diverse personalities because that allows us all to help a larger variety of people. So I don't try to figure it out anymore. I ask God in, use me. That to me is my seven-step prayer now, use me. And then we immediately get in to make our eight-step list, which is, comes from our fourth-step list. I don't know about you, but I did a lot of um, formats where I burnt my, uh, my fourth step. And, you know, I've heard a girl recently, she put her fourth-step stuff on a balloon and had it go in the air. The Facebook is telling me I need that list. How am I going to know how to make my, who my list is on my list? And how am I going to know who, makes my, who I'm making my amends about because it's the fourth column? So let's step back for a second before we stop, start steps eight and nine. We've just been told that we sit down for a long talk. We take an hour to reflect on the first five proposals. Six and seven is two paragraphs, and we make a list in step eight. So really the way the big book is presenting it, we do five, six, seven, eight, all in one day. Oh, that's where we know the old idea that I had. Because I, when I tried to work the steps off the wall, what happened is I saw 12 steps. And I thought they all had equal importance and had, took an equal amount of time, which is one of the reasons that most of the step groups I belong to, it was one step a month and it took a year to get through the steps. Yet the big book is having this urgency. We've got to get through the steps. Once again, one chapter is 5 through 11. There's an urgency. There's a momentum that we're building up now. And now we're going to go into 8 and 9. So just for time's sake, I'm going to just kind of summarize some of the ideas in here. So the first one I like to look at, so once again, I'm looking at my old ideas, is I thought step nine was just an apology. And believe me, I apologize all the time. And my apologies meant nothing. Why is that? Because I looked up the definition in Webster's Dictionary. What is the definition of an apology? To offer an excuse for some fault, failure, or injury. And that's exactly what I did. I made excuses. And then what I would do is the next day I would do the same exact thing. So what's the definition of an amend? An amend is to change for the better, to remove or correct faults, reparation or compensation for damage. So I'm not only admitting what I did that was wrong, I am now going to be changing my behavior. Now I told you I lose a lot of people in step four. I lose a lot in step nine. Step nine, a lot of people, the fourth step fade away and the ninth step trap door. People just drop out. So what I like to emphasize is I personally see five warnings in this, in this part of the book that tells me if I don't do this, I am going to eat again. So I'm going to review them real quickly. So on page 76, that third paragraph, the last sentence, which is in italics, Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any length for victory over alcohol. Then on page 77, four lines up from the bottom. Simply, we tell him we will never get over our drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the past. If we go to page 78, the second full paragraph, 
that starts out, most alcoholics owe money, that last sentence there. We must lose our fear of creditors, no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. Then on page 79, that first full paragraph that starts, although these reparations, the second sentence, reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. And the last one I see is on page 80. The fourth paragraph down, it says, after consulting with his wife, the second, par- second sentence, he saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would start drinking again. These amends are real serious. And let me tell you, even as a sponsor, I can't make anyone do an amend. I can't hold your hands and do that. My instructions in the book is we, we, we teach you the amends and we immediately get into 1011. It is, the, it is the sponsee's responsibility to continue to make those amends. Unfinished amends is often a reason I see people pick up. And my personal opinion, again, is because you start to feel those nice step promises, and why would you have to do the rest of the amends? You're feeling better. But it's going to bite you in the butt. So we have to continue with that. So now let's look at what is the posture of an amends. How are we supposed to be going into that amends? So if we go to page 77, the second paragraph, it says, we don't use this as an excuse for shying away. The fourth line down says, we announce our convictions with tact and common sense. And the last sentence in that paragraph, we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Whew. Now let me tell you one of the mistakes that I made is I learned those four-step prayers. I learned the sick man's prayer. I learned the fear prayer. And I learned the three sex conduct prayers, which become relationship prayers in my 10 and 11. And I left them in step four. Well, how can I have this posture if I'm not using those prayers? I'm not going to him in a, in a helpful and forgiving spirit. I'm going there because I want, if I'm admitting what I did, did was wrong, they're going to admit what they did is wrong. And it's not a former ill feeling because I'm still pissed off if I don't use these prayers. And the only thing I regret at this point is, number one, that I got caught, and number two, that my sponsor's making me make this darn amends. So I have to be willing to, to do these prayers to get me to this posture. And the last posture, I just want to say on page 78, the very top, the second line down, his faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we'll be gratified with the result. Let me tell you, until you do steps one through eight, at least my experience, I couldn't be calm, frank, and open until I did steps one through eight. That's why it's so essential we do this work. So once again, just to do a summary, the way that I was taught is there's four A's that we, are, that we do when we make an amends. We ask for forgiveness. We admit where we were wrong. We ask what we can do to make it right, and we ask if there's anything else we need to know, that we need to know. That last one for me is more about you know interpersonal relationships. Because let me tell you specifically with my parents, I was shocked. I'm so selfish and self-centered. I had no idea how I affected people, and to ask that question and then to shut up and not defend was very enlightening. I found out from my father that he thought I was, he was going to have to support me the rest of his life because I'm 27 years old living in with my parents because I can't afford binge foods and 
and an apartment. I found out my father was, was uh, following me to the bathroom because when I became bulimic, he knew I was throwing up and was trying to figure out what I was doing. You know, with my mother, I thought it was the actions that I did. I found that a lot of it was my inaction, which I think is very true of compulsive overeaters, you know, is that we don't show up. We're not dependable. My mom was embarrassed because I'm, in my mind, I buy a dress for a wedding. I don't fit in it three weeks later. I'm too embarrassed to go to the wedding. Poor Kim. But my mother has to go to that wedding and make excuses for me again, knowing that they spent $100 or whatever on that plate, and Kim didn't show up again. So it's so essential for me when, I, when I'm talking to someone I have a relationship with, ask, is there anything else I need to know? Because I don't even know how I affect people. So we're, you know what? we're given two additional prayers in, steps, in step nine. So let's turn to page 79. That first sentence, although these reparations have been your mobile forms, four lines down. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing no matter what the personal consequences may be. So once again, I, I look for the loopholes. Hey, if it's injuring them or others, I can't do it. You know what? It says whatever the personal consequences are. I am not them, and I am not others. So whatever the personal consequences to me, which a lot of times I would say, well, I'm going to be embarrassed, and I'm going to embarrass them, therefore I should not do the amends. And for me, again, personally, what I would do is say, well, I'm just going to make a living amends. I'm not going to actually admit my faults. And I use that as a loophole. And I'll tell you what, what, I, what I always think of when I think about a living amends is that I, had, I was the youngest of cousins, and we would get together at Thanksgiving, and they would be really mean to me and tease me. And then at Christmas, we'd get together, and they would be nice to me. And I was so angry, because why aren't they admitting that they hurt me? How come they can just pretend that, they're, that everything's okay? Yet isn't that, what, at least for me, that's what I try to do with a living amends. I'm going to pretend I'm just a nice person now, and I'm never going to acknowledge the havoc, the tornado that I've done, that I've, I, I've done with other people. So it was essential for me, I had to go back and make this direct amends. I had to admit where I was wrong if I wanted the freedom. And then on page 83, um, that first full paragraph, last couple lines. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. What a great prayer. That's a prayer I can use every single day. So let's just stay in that, in that paragraph on page 83, the first paragraph. There is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling, we are sorry, does not fill the bill at all. So once again, me just saying I'm sorry isn't enough. Am I demonstrating what I'm saying? If I'm saying this is what I'm going to do to make it right, then I better do that. You know, I had a 10-step that I did with my brother that I was realizing I wasn't being a good brother to him. And my brother's learning disabled, doesn't have a lot of friends, and I was canceling on him all the time. And I made an amends to him, and I said, how can I make this right? And he said, well, can we do something together? So once a month, we do something together. It's been a couple years now. And that first time, I was heartbroken because he called me every day. Are we still doing it, Kim? Are we still doing it, Kim? Are we still going? I didn't realize how... how Awful I was this kid because he was so afraid I wouldn't keep my word. And then six, seven, eight months later, we have plans, and I'm running late, and I called him and said, Scott, just so you know, I'm going to be running late. I'm going to probably be an hour later. And he said, don't worry, Kim. I know you're going to be there. 
we have to follow through with these demonstrations. And it says the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it in the next paragraph. That I can't just sit in a big book meeting and discuss the, the uh, beautiful words in this book. I need to go out the other 23 hours and live this. I'm not going to get the benefit of this work unless I take the actions described in this book. So let's now go into step 10. Because once again, 4 through 9 is simply a skill set that I'm learning. Where it's going to have depth and weight is when I implement it in 10 and 11. So let me tell you what I see as the difference. In steps 4 through 9, we learn the skill set. I have the luxury of looking at the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years of my life and getting clean on what's been going on. And step 10 is, what do I do right now? A jerk just cut me off in traffic. My boss just gave me a dirty look. How do I get relief right now? That's what step 10 is. Once again, my old idea, and I think this is in a lot of 12-step programs, we think step 10 is at night. In my area, Region 7, we have a, um, a fundraiser for a step 10 journal. But really, it's the step 11 questions at night. So step 10 is not the nightly review. Step 10 is, I am disturbed right now. How do I get undisturbed? And that's by implementing four through nine. Then in step 11, there's three practices. I have an evening review where I'm now going to take this skill set of four through nine, and I'm going to look at the last 24 hours, and I'm going to look at those patterns and see how I can behave differently tomorrow. In step 11, we also have a morning review. So now I know my problem is I'm selfish, I'm dishonest, I'm self-seeking, I'm frightened of these defects. So why do I even have to wait until I get disturbed? Why can't I ask God in proactively to help me with my day? And that's what step 11 is in the morning. And then this third part of step 11 is I'm going to pause throughout the day. I'm going to take my spiritual temperature. I'm going to see how connected I am with God. And let me tell you again, a lot of my step 11, what I'll use is earlier parts of the book as a way to do that. So, for example, there's the page 60 to 62 is all that step three. That's when I'm invested in self. I'll use that as a step 11 meditation because that lets me know. Mike, I'm feeling more identification with 60 to 62. There's some trouble because I'm starting to identify in with self again. So, once again, this is my experience. I get, I get to step nine. I immediately get into step 10. And as my step nines are cleaned up and I dig into step 10, I don't have as many step nines to do because now I'm stopping myself before the harm is created. I don't need to do a step nine. I really dig into step 11 and I'm getting connected and suddenly my step tens aren't as frequent because I'm not getting disturbed because I'm connected in with that power. And let me tell you, I unravel the same way. I let up in my step 11 practices, boom, 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 my step 10 stop popping up. I let up on my step 10 practices, boom, boom, boom. I'm starting to cause harm, and I'm having to do step nine. So to me, that's a great barometer of where I'm at. So let's turn to page 84. And we have instructions, we have promises, and we have warnings to go with step 10. So that second full paragraph says, the thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory. We continue to set right any new mistakes we made. We vigorously commence the way of living as we cleaned up the past. So it's, once again, it's not telling us to finish up all our step nines. We start, we are taught eight and nine, and we immediately get into step ten, because life is continuing to happen, and I need relief. 
to me, that's like graduating nursing school, getting passing your boards and never going into a hospital. Do you really feel like a nurse? When you, when you get in the hospital and you have actual live patients, that's when you start to feel like a nurse. It's when I start to get engaged with 10 and 11 that the skill set I learn starts to have depth and weight. So I immediately get into that. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. It's not about maintenance. I'm going to grow. If I continue to implement 10, 11, and 12, which is really doing steps 1 through 12 on a daily basis, I have no, no, how can I not grow? So here are the instructions. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And I remember in a meeting, my jaw dropping, when someone said, look, it told you to watch, not to work on. Because remember, it's God's job to remove these defects, not mine. So my job is to watch out for them. Six and seven, I like the way it was described once, has now become my step one for life. Because I have the food is down. So what, is I, what am I powerless, at, powerless over now is my defect. So six and seven, even though it was just two paragraphs, it now is the basis of my step 10 work. So I'm going to watch for them. I'm not going to work on them. And you notice, too, it brings you right to that fourth column. We learned in step four, when you stay in those first three columns, what happens? People continue to wrong us, and, and we continue to stay sore. What I often get is people calling you with a 10-step, and all they want to do is discuss those first three columns. And what happens when you stay in there? I get all riled up and pissed off, and I'm trying to prove to you this person's a jerk. I need to get to that fourth column, which is where God can intercede and change me. Not that there's not benefit and talking over our problems. But we have to understand that's not step work. Our step work is the directions here. So I look out for those fourth columns. When these crop up, because we're humans, we ask God to remove them, step six and seven. We discuss them with some immediately, step five, and make amends quickly if we form new ones, steps eight and nine. Can you notice we learn skill sets four through nine. When we implement it in ten, it's four, six, seven, five, eight, nine. Because at this point, I'm in touch with the power. I should be going to God first. I'm not, human aid is not going to sustain me, so I need to go to God first. Now, this is me, and I have to tell you that I, other big book teachers disagree with this, but this is what I, my interpretation, this is me, is I believe immediately in 1939 was very different than immediately in 2016. They didn't have cell phones and texting and Facebook and all that stuff. I think they meant just don't sit on it. So I don't want to limit my 10 steps to when I can actually physically talk to somebody. So one of the things I suggest to my sponsees is throughout the day, just randomly stop, whatever that is for you. For me personally, I go, I go to the bathroom a lot, so I would bring index cards into the, into the bathroom, and I would write SDRF. And I would get to work at 8, and at 10 a.m., I'd write SDRF, selfish, dishonest, resentful, fearful, and be blown away how much I've been sitting in that without knowing it because anxiety was my normal emotion. I didn't even know when I was upset. So it was beneficial for me to practice that skill set, and then I would call someone when I got home and say, can I, can I um, go through some 10 steps with you? So I would do five or six during the day and not talk to someone and then talk to someone at night. You know, now I have to tell you, uh, my 10 steps, I probably talk to someone three times a week, even though I might do 15, 20 during that week. Because if I'm connected with the power and I see, oh, here I go again. There you are, Kim. You're afraid of being laughed at. Uh-oh, Kim. You're thinking that people are looking down on you. Uh-oh, Kim. Your arrogance is coming out. I just have a couple plays that I invite different people on stage. 
but the, so for me, I, I need to have that recovered group around me. If something's happening over and over, I better call somebody. And I don't want it to be, this is my opinion again, I don't want it to be just my sponsor. I try to create a group of recovered people around me that I can use because, once again, it's the process of the 10 step and connecting with the power that is, that is what I'm looking for, not the connection with an individual. And unfortunately, in our, in our fellowship, we have a 5% recovery rate. So if you hook your star on one person being your 10-step person, there's a good chance that person's going into relapse. We want to create that recovered community. Then we have those 10-step those promises. Once again, I have my sponsees when they, when they get here. Call new people. Tell them what it is. I didn't know this was possible. To be not cocky or afraid, to be not fighting it, not avoiding the temptation, to be in a position of neutrality, safe and protected, to not have sworn off. I didn't know that was possible in a way. If we're experiencing those promises, we need to call other people and let them know what's possible. But I'm going to go into those warnings because to me it was so essential for these warnings to be there. So on the first full paragraph on page 85, it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels, rest on our past um, achievements. When I, someone calls me and they say, I say, where are you in your step work? Oh, I finished the steps last year. Oh, that's a red flag. I often find, too, what happens is not when things are going bad. When things are going bad, I'm pretty good about doing this work. But when things are going well, people I know who relapse because they get in a new relationship or they get a promotion or maybe they've had a new baby and things are going their way, I don't need God at that point, and I let up on that spiritual program of action. And it's letting us know we're headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. So for, once again, for people who get peeved about that word recovered, recovered does not mean cured. I have a two-fold illness. I have an allergy to the body. I have not ingested those binge foods. That's my solution for that. The bigger part is I've done these steps, and God has removed the obsession to eat. I am recovered. I do not white-knuckle it. I am not one bite away on a daily basis as long as I stay grounded in this work. Because what we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. This is where one day at a time comes in. You know, I kind of consider myself like Cinderella at midnight. You know, the... Um, the uh, the groomsmen turn into mice, and the carriage turns into a pumpkin, and my beautiful dress turns into rags. Every morning I wake up with untreated compulsive overeating, and that's why I have to do this on a daily basis. You know, I can't get clean on yesterday's shower. Because every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Another great step 11 practice. Every day. Am I doing this only on maybe Monday through Friday on the weekends taken off? Am I carrying Kim's vision or God's vision into the day? My agenda, my little plans and designs. And into all of my activities, where am I not asking my higher power into? Because wherever I'm not asking God into is exactly where that mental twist is going to get me. Finance, romance, two big areas that I think I can handle on my own. And then we get into the step 11 with those three practices. And for time's sake, I'm just, going to re, I'm just going to kind of review again. So one of the things someone told me to do in these studies, 86 to 88 is to circle everywhere it says ask, prayer, or meditation. Because ask is a prayer. And there's like, I don't know, like half a dozen, I mean, maybe a dozen asks in there. There's all these different prayers that we can utilize. 
So step 11 at night. Once again, I'm reviewing my day, constructively reviewing my day. I am not, it's not about beating yourself up. It's about really using this skill set so we can connect more with our higher power. And it goes through four through nine. So the difference I see between step 10 during the day and step 11 at night is it says, what could we have done better? And it says, after making our review, ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. So in step 11, I'm asking God, how do I behave differently tomorrow? And for me, one of the helps has been, once again, utilizing those four-step prayers, utilizing those relationship prayers. What are my ideals? Because that's what I'm shooting for. What is my ideal as a daughter to my parents? What is my ideal as a sister to my brothers? What is my ideal as a coworker, as an employee, as a dog owner, as a friend? And then I'm asking myself, how do I live up to that, and what can I do tomorrow to live up to that ideal? How could you not change using that as a formula for life? And then in the morning, one of my favorites is the divorce prayer. The second full paragraph, the third sentence, we ask God to direct our thinking and especially ask it to be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. What do we divorce? We divorce something we once loved. I loved my selfishness. I loved my self-pity. I loved the thought thinking about me, 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 me all day long. And I know now that's my problem. So I asked God to separate me from them even before I started to indulge in them, which is why I believe it's so important to do it when I first wake up. I don't know about you, but when I wake up, I'm like 20 minutes into a conversation. So I need to be able to do that first thing in the morning to reset my brain that way. If we look four lines from the bottom of page 86, we relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. I heard that all the time in the rooms. And I remember being in a meeting and a guy goes, look, look at the sentence before. It says, here we ask God for inspiration and intuitive thought or decision. If you haven't done that, you better not relax because you're going to be struggling. Because if I'm starting to run the show again, I'm in big trouble. And the last thing I'm going to mention in the morning meditation is three lines down on page 87. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with our God, it is not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. Nevertheless, we, um, we might pay for this presumption all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. So I just say this, I think of parenting being a very good example. You find out you're going to be a parent, you're terrified. You've never been a parent before, what are you going to do? You're so inexperienced. You have an infant, start to feel comfortable with an infant, the darn thing turns into a toddler. Now you're all inexperienced with having a toddler. Finally get comfortable with a toddler, he's going off to preschool. Then he's becoming a tween, and then they're becoming a teenager. And then, God forbid, you don't have adult children you have to deal with. So even though you are a mother, you're constantly inexperienced because the child is always changing. That's what I believe. I'm never going to be experienced. I know how to be five years sober. I don't know how to be six years sober. And the more that I work this program, I am presented with more gifts from God that I'm constantly inexperienced. And I, I always pray with the presumption of all sorts of absurd ideas and actions. I don't take myself so seriously. When I make an idiot out of myself, I think, oh, practicing step 11. Ask God into it. I'm being human again. So we're, we're constantly asking God into this. And then the last part, we're going to go down to the bottom of 87. So that as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. Okay? I'm not asking for the right feeling, the right thought or action. Because what did we learn? We learned that, that in step three, we have to turn our life and our will, which is our thought and our actions, over to God. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Why? Because I'm constantly trying to run the show. 
Now, here comes what I consider the 11-step promises. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. So for me personally, once again, I was taught I had a threefold illness. One of parts emotional. I'm working on my emotions. Never works because emotions are like a roller coaster. If I work these steps, if I stay grounded in, seven, 11, in steps 10 and 11, I'm in much less danger of those pesky emotions. And I love how they put excitement because a really, really high emotion is just as dangerous to me as a really, really low emotion. I need to get off that roller coaster. It says we become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. So if I'm feeling inefficient, if I'm feeling exhausted, it means I'm in Kim's will. So that's where I have to ask God into. So what I do is I, I use that as my step 11 as a barometer of asking God into it. So it says here, it works, it really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined, so we let God discipline us in the simple way we just outlined. I just to laugh at myself, too, when I, Leah had asked me for the name of this, and I said the Daily Design for Living. Like a week later, I was like, no, I should have meant it. This is what I should have named it. We let God discipline us in the simple way we just outlined. Because that's, that's the crux of, the, of, of my solution is God's going to discipline me, not a meeting, not a sponsor. God's going to discipline me. And the simple way we just outlined is the steps. The steps are the DNA of my life. The steps are the skeleton. I have other spiritual practices that I build around it. But it, the crux of it, is the skeleton of it, is going to be this work. Because for me personally, if I don't do steps 10 and 11 and I am blocked from the power, all those other spiritual practices have no depth and weight. I need 10 and 11 to unblock me so I can have access to that other stuff. So just in wrapping up, I just wrote down a couple of things that I just always think about when I think about does this work, is that my mind needs relief. And it doesn't care if it comes through prayer and meditation or if it comes from the food. So that's where I'm going to have to get to. If I stop this work, my brain is still wired. I still have that mental twist that's waiting there. And if I don't apply this skill set we learned in this chapter, my mind's going to go for the only other way at new relief, which is the food. Once again, I talked about using other parts of the book for step 11. And I think of 10, 11, and 12 as like walking up a down escalator. I have to constantly be in motion. Now, it doesn't seem fair because most people get to walk up the up escalator, but I have to know who and what I am. I am a compulsive overeater. And because of that, I need to walk up the down escalator and have to be constantly in motion in these steps. And um, actually, the last couple of things I already mentioned throughout. So thanks, everyone, for letting me share. And I hope that uh, I hope I just inspired you guys to not only read this chapter, but take the actions that are described in this chapter. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim, for your beautiful and thorough presentation of Chapter 6, Into Action, this morning. And, of course, thank you for sharing your personal experience with the implementation of these steps. Your service is greatly appreciated, always. Kim's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And now you have an opportunity for questions. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. And identify yourself, please. Gina R. Gina R. Marie. Is that Marie? Maureen M. Maureen M. 
And I heard someone else. Martha S. Martha S. Lucy K. Try again, please. Nancy C. Am I right on that one? Was there a Nancy? Perhaps not. There was a Stacy. Stacy. Okay. And then I'm Bev J. Deb J. Bev, short for Beverly. Bev. Okay. Thanks for your patience. All right. Let's go with that. Gina R. Good morning, everybody. This is Gina R. And I am uh, trudging through step nine right now in Colorado. And Kim, the question I have relates to the instances where you're not really sure if you need to make a direct amends. And I believe I've got great sponsorship, but there's still a couple of questions I have relating to um, harms that I have caused mostly in my mind. It wasn't anything directly related to them. This is usually around the area of character assassination and gossiping. So if you could address that, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Gina. You know, I, I just want to mention one thing, and then I'll tell you an example from my life with that, is that this is my opinion again. I have to give pretty much my opinion. But if, I often get calls from people telling me that they were told to call five recovered people and get opinions about what they should do with their amends, and I feel very uncomfortable with that because I, don't, I stopped playing God in step three. What I tell my sponsees to do is to call people and ask for their experience. So if let's say you're, you're thinking, I don't know how to make an amends to a young child that's appropriate, is to call people and say, have you had to make an amends to a child? And ask what their amends was. And I often find that people will, um, their, God will talk through other people's experiences because we are way, way too many opinions um, as addicts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my experience with this. Um, I, too, had a lot of, I'm very passive-aggressive, at least I was, thank God, passive-aggressive. So specifically with this one girl, I had dated this guy um, for like six months and we broke up and we stayed friends and part of this group and he started dating this girl immediately. She was 10 years younger than us. We all thought she was a jerk and we would trash her all the time. So I went in and I looked at what my fourth column is because what we're making amends for is the fourth fourth column. And I saw that the pro- what, what was happening was even though I didn't want to date Dennis anymore, I was pretty angry that he found someone so quickly, and I was feeling very lonely and angry that he found someone, and I, and I had it. So that was my harm. So where was, where did, where, how did that manifest? Was number one, it, the harm was caused to the people I was gossiping with. So the next time Karen's name came up, I said, listen, I just need to tell you guys, I can't participate with this anymore because I realize now that the reason I'm trashing her is because of my own insecurities and that I'm feeling lonely, and I'm just jealous that Dennis found someone, and it's nothing to do with Karen. And the other was, since I talked behind her back, I needed to compliment her to her face. And it couldn't be, hey, Karen, you have nice shoes. Like, I had to do it. It took, like, three or four times, and suddenly this peace came over me, Gina, and I walked up to her, and I said, Karen, I just want to thank you for how happy you make my friend. I have never seen Dennis as happy as he's been since he's been with you, which was true. And they're now married and have kids, and me and Karen get along beautifully. But I had to look at what was my harm specifically and how I could rectify that harm without causing more harm. And I hope that helps. 
It does. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gina. Maureen M. Uh, hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, hi, my name is Maureen M. from New York, uh, recovered compulsive overeater. And thank you, Kim, so much. I love listening to you. Um, your, your, your recovery is just amazing. And my question today is I... I am having, I have done, you know, a ninth step with um, the great white whales of resentment in my life, and there are three of them. And um, I I really thought that I was, you know, continuing to take personal inventory, and when I was wrong, promptly admitting it, and what what is happening now is I'm not I've been struggling with huge resentment still and I've been praying every morning um, doing four step prayer the sick man's prayer um, you know six and seven and just and it's it's not really lifting and um, it lifted a little bit I had one day of reprieve and then I had uh, a tidal wave of it come back. So, you know, I hurt one of those people with my words and I went back right away and I did a spot check inventory about it with, with someone in the program and I apologized. But I also added that I needed to take some time um to put some space between me and this person because I I don't feel healthy enough. I, I'm afraid of the triggers that, that happen to me. Um, and they're, you know, I don't want to get all psychological, but anyway, they're deep-seated. And um, what's your take on that, on, you know, taking a reprieve or, or uh, a break in the relationship or leaving people alone so I won't hurt them? Um, for however long it takes, and feeling like I'm not hurting them by leaving them alone, because either way, I feel there are consequences that aren't that I'm afraid of. I'm afraid. So, thanks. Let me share that. Thanks, Maureen. You know, one of the things that was pointed out to me on page 67. You're talking about that sick man's prayer in that first paragraph. The next paragraph, we, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat people, sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So sometimes the best I can do is leave people alone. But one of the suggestions I want to make to you is use those relationship prayers as well. Create an ideal. And part of that ideal might be leaving that person alone for a time period. Um, but remember, this is a long period of reconstruction, so I would just dig deeper into the steps. But it really helped me to know, to, uh, to write these ideals. And some people I just had to recognize, especially for me at work, is some people just don't like me, and some people don't like my personality. And, I, and I'm not going to try to convince them to like me. I just leave them alone and let them be who they are. And I'll just tell you, again, with my youngest brother who's learning disabled, one of the issues I have is when I get frustrated, he's an easy target to bully because he's so mild-mannered. And we talked about that, and we tried to determine something he could do. And what he does now, if he feels I'm getting a little bit too um, 
tart with him is he says the word banana. And we both start laughing because then I'm reminded, okay, Scott, you're right. I'm getting a little bit too, a little bit too rambunctious here. So I work on that with, you know, I don't know how close this relationship is, but sometimes I have to look at that, you know, with that person, how, um, how, how does that, you know, how can I make it right? Often is a discussion with that person. And some things I'm not going to. I don't want to have new relationships with some people. So if they ask me, well, now I want to get together with you once a week for, for coffee, I might, I might say no. Um, but this on the other end, I love the fact it says we cannot be helpful to all people. So sometimes the best way we can be helpful is just to leave people alone for a period of time. And then our actions will hopefully prove that we're consistent because it says in the big book, too, that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. They're talking about just drunkenness. You know, 10, 17 years in a way of promising I'm going to change and not changing is going to make a skeptic out of anyone. Why would anyone believe what I say? It's my actions they're going to believe. So I have to be consistent in my actions. And I hope that helps. It did a great deal. Thanks so much. Thank you, Maureen. Martha S., your question, please. Yes, thank you. Good morning. This is Martha S., and recovered compulsive reader in upstate New York. Thank you, Kim. This is really helpful, and thank you, Leah, for your service. So I think you mentioned four essential parts of an amends, admitting we're wrong, and um, I think you mentioned, you know, asking them if there's anything else we need to know because we can't see uh, everything that we may have done that may have harmed them. And I think you said we asked them, you know, how can we make this up to you? Or how how can we make this right? Um, can you please let me know if if, if there was some, another part of the amends and um, and. Are there instructions in the big book that tell us to ask them how to make it up to them or how to make it right? Because um, I'm not sure if I want to go to a person with an expectation that they have to um, do anything at all, like tell me tell me what they want from me. I, I don't know where that is in the big book. Thank you very much. Thanks, Martha. Yeah, that was just a summary. If you can't, I can't go specific lines, but just a summary. They said there's four things they're telling us to present. One is we ask for forgiveness. One is we admit we are wrong. One is we ask how we can make it right. And the other one is we ask if there's anything else I need to know. So it's just kind of a summary. And once again, you, that's why you need sponsorship because you know I'm not going to ask. You know I'm not going to go to a place that maybe I stole food from and say. Is there anything else I need to know? I mean, that's not appropriate. Um, so that's why you have to use good sponsorship. Um, but I'll just give you an example again. One of the sponsors, a sponsor I had, um, she had two young children. They're teenagers, and um, they uh, she needed to make an amends to them because she had gotten divorced and moved out of state, and she felt so guilty about taking them away from their father that she was letting these kids ramrod all over her because she wanted to be their friend because she didn't want them to be mad at her. And she realized in her fourth column that she had done them harm by, make, you know, they were almost becoming brats. Not almost, they were becoming brats. So when she sat down with them and she said, you know, I abdicated my responsibility. We have to set up rules in this household. And she worked with the children to say, okay, here's the rules. What do you think the consequences should be? And she was shocked because they actually gave worse consequences than she was thinking of doing, number one. And then when she asked them, you know, how can I make this right, she was shocked again because the one kid said, just leave me alone. I just want to be in my room with my iPad 
leave me alone. And the other one said, Mom, I really need time alone with you. Can we go out once a week and have coffee? Or go out to, you know, whatever they were going to do together. And she was shocked. If she had decided what that amends would be, she wouldn't have known what her children needed. So it is different depending on what the situation, but I do find it's powerful. You know, that we don't know, once again, we don't know how we're affecting people. So how do we know even how to make it right if we don't know that harm until we, we talk to them? Sometimes it's easy. If I stole $100, how do I make it right? I pay back the 100 bucks. Um, but other times it, it can be um, more nuanced. And that's why, once again, I think it's good to call people. If you're confused about, a, you know, maybe an ex-boyfriend, a lot of times it's not good to go to exes if they're in current relationships. Is ask people, call them, how did you make an amends with a past relationship that you don't have any contact with that guy anymore? And use that experience to let God speak through that. I hope that's helpful, Martha. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Martha. Stacy, your turn. Good morning, Stacy Kay in Colorado. Um, thanks for the clarity, Kim. And um I was just wondering if there are any conditions that you might take somebody all the way through the steps again, other than, you know, if, they re- if they've been in relapse and eating, but like maybe they're, maybe they missed something else. They're doing 10, 11, and 12, like their life depends on it, but, you know, there's something still missing because the obsession hasn't really lifted. They're, they're still struggling with that. Would you like dig more into 10 or 11, or would you take them all the way back? That's all I have. Um, you know, one of the things I find is, is, is always, from a sponsoring perspective, I always reread 89 to 96, because that gives me the instructions of how to help somebody. Um, just for me personally, I bring people through the steps, and then they just check in with me when they need me. I don't continue working with them the way I, you know, the way I do when I'm taking them through the steps. It's, at that point you've been through the book, it's, it's kind of your responsibility to go back in and keep doing the steps. Because living in 10, 11, and 12 really means you're doing 1 through 12. Because in steps 10 and 11, you're doing 4 through 9. And most of step 12 work is bringing people through steps 1, 2, and 3. So what I find for myself is I don't, I don't sit there and think, oh, I have to remember I'm powerless. I teach someone that they're powerless, and it reminds me that I'm powerless. I teach someone they need a power, and it reminds me I need a power. So if someone wants to go back through the steps, I think that's fine, but I think the good book is telling us I have to get my mind off of me. So I find it more beneficial to start teaching that work rather than me trying to figure out my own stuff. I even remember in college, Stacey, like, you know, I always volunteered to help kids in my class study because I figured if I could show them how to do the math problem, and I didn't need to study because I was learning it by teaching it to somebody. So I think that's just a general um, rule. If you're still having the mental obsession, though, I would really look at that four through nine. Is there something that you're missing there? We have those promises. Um, sometimes go back. Are you feeling those fifth-step promises? If you're not, maybe there's some fourth-step work you have to dig more into. You know, if you're not feeling those ten-step promises, then maybe those ten steps have to be stepped up in there. Um, so I, I personally only will bring someone back to the steps if they pick up, but that's why we seek out. I mean, from, and once again, this is for me personally, I don't have a lot of healthy OA meetings in my area. So I seek out AA meetings. And once you find, once I found a couple big book people, I have over the past year found two teachers that 
in Philadelphia that did a 12-week series, and I went through that with them. And I found another 12-week series that I went to in, in Pensacola, New Jersey. I'm just finishing that up this week. And now I'm returning to another meeting in Philadelphia that goes through the book similar to how we do it in Vision for You. So to me, it's, it's constantly digging into this material where it says our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. The way I personalize that is understanding is I'm always the student. So I never stop being in this book. I'm always digging in. And, and effectiveness is being the teacher. So I'm always seeking new ways that I can help people. Um, so I think just getting, digging into the work is probably helpful. If you want to have a more one-on-one -on -one conversation, please feel free to call me if there's something more specific that I'm missing there. Thank you, Stacy. Bev, it's your turn. Bev J. Thank you. This is Bev J in Colorado. Um, Kim, thanks for your comments about Step 10. Uh, that's really interesting. And, of course, it's the way different teachers interpret the, the big book, so I appreciate that. Um, my question has to do with the, with amends. Um, what are your thoughts about making amends to oneself? I do not believe in it at all, Beverly. I think it's, you know, I have to laugh because, you know, when I was, went through the steps the first time, I was told the first person I put on my fourth step is me. The first person I put on my ninth step is me. But yet when I went through step three and pages 62, what is my problem? I'm selfish and self-centered. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-pity, self-delusion. So if the solution is I've got to stop thinking about me, then it doesn't make sense that the first person I put on my fourth step is me and the first person I put on my ninth step is me. What I want to tell you, my experience is the best way you can make an amends to you is to do your amends. The best way you make an amends to you is to do these steps and live in this, live in this step work. But the spiritual life tells us the more that I think about me, the more I'm in the problem. The more I think about others, the more I'm in the solution. So the once again, the best way you make an amends to yourself is just do the step work, put the food down, do the step work, and live in this daily design for living. Right. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Bev. Who else has a question for Kim this morning? Star one to unmute and identify yourself. Carolyn, Massachusetts. Carolyn. Who else? Jordan S. Jordan. Did you hear Judy K.? Now I did. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. Judith R. Judith R. Kathy K. Kathy S. S. Anyone else? All right. We're going to start with Carolyn S. H. A reminder for everybody Miriam else L. to mute. I didn't catch you. Miriam L. Miriam. Okay. Carolyn S.H., everybody else, please mute. Yeah, good morning. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And Kim, thank you so much. Lovely to hear you. Carolyn S.H. in Massachusetts. Um, I'm going to phrase my question really short, um, really concisely, and if you want more, let me know. Um, I would just like to hear more about how you differentiated um, on page 84, um, continue to watch for the character defects um, versus working on. I would like to hear more about that. 
Thanks, Carolyn. Yeah, I, I heard that in an AA meeting, and I thought that was great because I always worked on my defects. You know, if I'm dishonest, I need to be honest. If I, you know, all these different things. And, like, you know, that's what I mean, but I'm not an idiot. I know I'm supposed to be honest. The problem is I don't have the power to do that on my own. So what I'm doing is I'm watching out. I'm looking at my behavior. I'm looking at my actions and saying, oh, I'm at, self is popping up. Oh, I'm feeling angry. Oh, I'm feeling resentful. And then I ask God to remove that from me because I don't have the power in and of myself to remove it. So my job is to keep a watch out. And this is just for me too, Carolyn. Like, and, this, and once again, I, I differ from other people, but and I think it's because I have a psychology degree so I can complicate the crap out of everything, is that I really like to keep it simple. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, inconsiderate. Those are the defects that the big book looks for. Or talks about. I like to wrap them up in, in pretty packages like passive aggressive, abandonment issues, um, fear of whatever. If I keep it real simple, because if I took, you know, my uh, self, you know, my, my people pleasing, it basically comes down to self seeking because I'm trying to make you like me. So um, that's all that people pleasing is. So if I just keep it simple with those five defects and I keep a watch out and it might pop up a different way then all I have to do is ask God in, ask God in, ask God in. Me trying to change my behavior is the exact problem that I had. Um, and I can't think of where it is in the big book right now, but it basically tells us we could wish to be moral, we could wish to feel these philosophically comforted, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. And that's what it, I, I feel I do when I work on my defects. You know, you know, all these, all these um, philosophical convictions galore, but I can't do anything about them. So to me, that was just real critical is that my job is to watch for these things and then ask God into it versus me, watch, you know, watching for them and then me through pure self-will trying to change who I was. Because that's what I tried to do for, you know, 30 years and it didn't work. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Jordan. Good morning. Um, thank you um, for speaking. I am a newcomer. My name is Jordan, and um, it sounded like your your talk was geared um, for those who are already into the steps. I am not. Um, I'm actually in the process of looking for a sponsor. And I want to know what I should be looking for. Um, and while I'm, I'm, I'm going through this process of finding a sponsor, what should I be doing in the meantime to keep myself um, abstinent? I've been away from my trigger foods for a couple of weeks now. So um, thank you again for taking my question and I'll, take my answer off of the line. Thank you. Thanks, Jordan. And that's a great point, first of all. If you're not at steps 5 through 11, just think of this as a big show-and-tell operation. This is letting you know what can happen. If you're new and you're coming into this, you know, um, and this, if, if you're attending this meeting, just know that in the second hour, about 10 of 9 Eastern Standard Time, there are people that identify themselves as available to sponsor. Um, once again, looking at my old ideas, I was told to look for someone who has what I want and ask him or her how he or she is achieving it. Unfortunately, what that meant to me as a sick, compulsive overeater was I looked for the skinniest girl in the room who had the cutest boyfriend. 
because that's all I wanted. So I just want to encourage you, what you want is someone who has absolutely gone through all 12 steps and has had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And those are great questions to ask when you're looking for a sponsor. If that's the if that's that person has it, jump on board. Don't worry if you can relate to them. Don't worry if they have the same experience that you do. What you want is the is someone who's experienced with having a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. Um, the other thing is, and this is just for me, Jordan. I don't know how long you've been in LA. I for many years thought I was abstinent when I wasn't, because what I was doing was actually somebody would hand me a food plan and I was trying to diet my food plan according to what this person was telling me. It wasn't until I went through the doctor's opinion and looked at looked to find my specific binge foods that I understood what abstinence was. So my suggestion to you is we're very blessed on this meeting is to go into the special editions and there's four years worth of stuff, but just a lot of them that are specifically on the doctor's opinion. We are very, very lucky. We, I think we basically have the doctor's opinion through working with others on special editions. Because Envision for You, as much as I love it, it's only a paragraph or two. You can't work the steps on the Vision for You line. You're going to eat before that because it takes us a year and a half to get through a book. But you can go to those Sunday editions and listen to a chapter in an hour. And then what I would suggest that you do is write down your questions and call recovered people and ask them your questions. Hopefully one of them will turn into a sponsor relationship. I think sometimes people get really, you know, clued into the 30 or so personalities that often share realize there's more recovered people on the line. If that person isn't available and you like what they have to say, ask them who they sponsor. Ask them if you can have some of their sponsees phone number. Ask who their spiritual mentors are and start expanding it. And as, as hopefully as you're going through those chapters, you'll find someone that can actually bring you through one-on-one. -on -one. But don't wait for that. Dive into this material. Define your abstinence. Work through those first four chapters with recovered people and hopefully one of those phone calls will turn into a sponsor relationship. That's my suggestion. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan, and welcome. Judy Kay. Thank you, Kim. Um, you, you did address this, uh, my question with Carolyn S.H., sort of, um, because I find that idea of, uh, I've heard it before about watching your defects. So my question is, so First of all, it feels passive, like you're not doing anything. So then what do you do next? And what happens if you have a, you're angry and you ask God to remove it and then it still continues? It's like, what, what do you do next? Thanks, Judy. And that, that's where step 11 comes in, because at step 11 at night, I'm reviewing my day, and I, if I see that I've had, you know, five, ten steps all in anger, let's say, with my mother, then I go and says, what could I have done better, and what corrective measures should be taken? I'll look at my ideal as a daughter. Am I living up to my ideal as a daughter? Because I often use this example. My mom's name is Joan. When I hang out with Joan, she's a great lady. She's goofy. She's wacky. Have a great time with her. When I hang out with Kim's mother... I'm miserable because I start to get invested on who she is and how it reflects on me. So I often find that when I do my 11 step at night, I'm like, oh, God, here I was. I was, I was worried about who my mother was versus who I am as a daughter. So that's where we, if we, in step 10, if we're watching for these and these things pop up, we take them into 11. 
what corrective measures? How can I behave differently tomorrow? How can I act in, in accordance with these ideals? What do you want me to do? I mean, one of the things I do in the morning is if I get in the shower, I, I, I call it my little plans and designs as the third step, my to-do list, my agenda, everything that needs to be done today. And when I get out of the shower, I say, God, help me to live a life of invitation because I don't want to be running the show. So to me, when I'm trying to control my defects, I'm running the show. So I'm asking God in to, you know, into my defects. That was a big thing for me, too. And this, once again, this is just for me because I'm, I'm a Catholic school kid. I, I didn't think you could go to God until you were perfect and good at certain rituals. I love the fact that I can ask God into my fear, into my resentment, into my anger. I don't, how else is he going to remove it if I'm not asking him into it? So that might be something you want to try is ask God into your anger, into your resentment, and that way he can, he can take that away from you. But step 11 is essential. If stuff isn't being resolved in step 10, bring it into step 11. Look at your ideals. Look at those four-step prayers. And, you know, that long period of reconstruction, we grow away from these defects. At least for me, the defects are not a light switch. They're a dimmer switch. So I'm going to grow away from those defects with God. Okay, so just uh, if so, if you if you have an ideal and you're trying to live it up to that, are you not practicing the opposite of your defects? No, I'm practicing my ideal. I'm, I, I'm, okay, I'm growing. I'm growing towards that ideal. The same way for me, Julia. This is what the posture that was different for me after 17 years. I would put down the food and look at the food, and I would fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it with all these tools and things, and all I would do is focus on the food. When I put down the food and faced the solution, and I ran towards the solutions, everything, and I still do the tools, but I was doing the tools facing the solution versus fighting the problem. It seemed like the food naturally went into the background because my focus was now on solution versus controlling the problem. That's kind of how I feel for it. Instead of trying to control the defect, is I'm going towards this ideal with God. Okay, thank you. That makes sense. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Judy K. Judith R. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Kim. This is Judith R. in Vermont Recovers. I'm grateful to share you today. Um, I have I realized I have two questions. Um the more simple one is um on page seventy seven I've always been confused by when Bill says, we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Um, I can't see how we would tell somebody I, that we didn't like them and stuff. So that's the first question. And the second one is, um, when you go into the bathroom during the day and then have a bunch of 10 steps at the end of the day, you talked about um, the the initials. At, I, what is it? SD. The initials for the for our, for what we look at in step ten um, and step four. Um, do you write? Do you just write down that you were selfish or that you were dishonest, or do you write specifics? Those are my questions. Thanks. Thanks, Judith. And if you just indulge me, I just want to go back to Judy for a second. I just want to say, if, if practicing the opposite works for you, please continue to do that. That's that just my opinion. So I know a lot of people do this. I don't want to act like I'm the know-it-all. So if, if practicing your opposite works for you and you find freedom, I'm so much, I'm so much about results. So 
disregard what I said if what you're doing is working for you. Um, Judith, with, with um, I mean, SDRS is just, or SDR, it's basically a watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. So that's just the four, I just wrote them down on an index card that way. I now have a, an app on my phone, I do. Um, but I don't. I write down how am I acting selfish? How am I acting resentful? How am I acting fearful? How am I acting frightened? And then I just I just write that down. And sometimes I'll write a couple sentences like Here I go again. I'm playing the victim. Here I go again. I'm afraid I'm going to be laughed at. Here I go again. My arrogance is taking over. So that's that's kind of how I just see where my you know how am I how am I manifesting this character defect? Um, as far as the former ill feeling. You know, um, one thing, I'm not talking about what they're doing. Like, like for example, with my parents, I said, you know, I, I just want to say that I, I was a difficult child. I know it must have been hard for you to watch. You know, my mom's in L.A. I know, I know it must have been hard for you to watch me self-destructing in Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm sorry for that. Whereas I used to resent her because I had this skinny mom who was successful in L.A., and I'm in L.A., and I'm relapsing and getting bigger and bigger. So I'm not going in on her. But, you know, saying that, you know, um, like with my friends, my sponsors, who's the mom, you know, saying, you know, I'm sorry that my own insecurities with the divorce, I've, I've taken out on you. So we're not doing formal or saying we're telling them what they did wrong. We're saying how our character defects showed up in our life and how that behavior hurt somebody else. Does that clarify it a little bit, I hope? Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Judith R. Kathy Kay. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and thanks, Kim, so much for your share today. It was really, really informative to me. Um, my question is back on step four because um, my assumption is that step four is supposed to be a thorough and fearless moral inventory, and I've never been able to say to a sponsee, you have 10 days to do this. It just, um, I, I have never been able to experience that with myself or with anyone else. So I'm assuming that you have some assumptions, like I've heard from other big book teachers, that it's not necessarily essential to cover every resentment that I can think of, but what is essential is to do enough so that we see the patterns in our fourth column. And I would just like to hear you speak a little bit more because um, I'd like to shorten up the process for my sponsees. I haven't found a way to do so. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Once again, one of my old prejudices, I thought thoroughness meant with how much volume I did. You know, I'm, an, I'm very competitive, so if someone did a three-subject notebook, if I did a five-subject notebook, then I did a better four-step than they did. Um, Thorough to me means, did you follow your directions? Did you make your list? You know, um, I think about on page 71, as we're finishing up our fourth step, it says, um, if you've already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicap, it's not saying every handicap. It's saying our grosser handicaps. And that's why I call it a skill set, because if I, if I don't catch it in step four through nine, I'm going to catch it in 10, 11. 
So what I find is it's a very painful place to be in step four, and the more someone's in step four, the more painful it is. But I look back to what the guys were doing when they were most successful. In the 40s, these guys were getting people through the steps in 30 days. In my area in Philly, they get, they get people through the steps in a couple of weeks. They give guys two days to do the, the inventory. But I think, Henry, what, you, what my suggestion is get in, go into meditation with your higher power. If what you're doing is working and people are getting through the steps and they're having a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps, there's no reason to change what you're doing. But if, you're, if you get into meditation, you notice a lot of your people are relapsing. Maybe ask God how you can be you know, more effective with what you're doing. So I'm not saying anyone has to do it like me. I just get into meditation. God, how can I most effectively carry this message? And once again, results-driven. If what you're doing is working, great. Um, but that was some, a prejudice I had to look at was sorrow did not mean volume. It meant did I follow the directions. And the directions are simply a bunch of lists. It's not even a lot of writing. I'm not writing a life story. I'm not writing about every moment of my life. Let's look at page 64. It says, one object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods, take rid of them promptly and without regret. So promptly means it's supposed to be quickly. Mm. And without regret, honestly, when I stay in a four-step long, I get pretty pissed off. I reinforce my resentments, I reinforce my fears, and I reinforce my sex conduct because I'm getting riled up over it. So I, if I haven't thought about the guy that's made fun of me since third, in third grade, since fourth grade, there's no reason to put it on there. What I'm doing is what it currently is in my mind, what's taking up rent in my head for free that is blocking me from that higher power. And all I'm doing is writing down today what that is. For me to sit there and try to remember back 20 years, and, and I haven't thought about it in 10 years, I don't think it's beneficial. And if that thing 10 years ago comes up in my 10th step, I'll deal with it then. So I don't need to create problems where it is. And one object is to find out what's blocking us promptly and without regret. And I think that's a great way to look at what the, uh, the object of the fourth step is. I hope that helps. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kim. You've given me some good ideas. Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. Miriam L., I think you forgot Devora. Hi, thanks. This is Miriam L., and I'm gratefully in recovery from compulsive overeating. Um, thank you so much for your share. Um, I have two questions. The first one has to do with step five. When you listen to a step five, do you listen to everything that the sponsee has written down, or do you have them just read their fourth column to you? Okay, so, so this would be a personal style, once again, mm-hmm. opinion thing. Um, yep. And this is a selfish thing on my part, just to go back to what Kathy said. When someone does a four, you know, a, 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 the work in, in seven to ten days, my average step lasts about an hour and a half. Hmm. I average two, two to three fifth steps a month. If I had a fifth step that I had to take eight, nine hours, and I've heard people taking three days to take a fifth step, I would never want to do a fifth step. I wouldn't want to sponsor. It's too much work. Right. So what I have found most effective for me is I have certain forms that I have the girls use, and I like the forms. I'm an accountant, so I love spreadsheets. So it's a spreadsheet. But it doesn't give people a lot of room to write because the only thing they're reading me is what they wrote because I think people get nervous and they want to start explaining things. Right. That's not what I'm here for. So, mm-hmm. for example, this is just for me, the resentment, they read the first column who they're angry at, the second column, which is the cause, which is 20 words or less. Mm-hmm. The third column, I don't even have them read. 
and I have them read that fourth column. And what I personally do is I, I stay quiet and let them read the whole thing, and I keep a notebook and try to look for patterns. Then I ask them what patterns they see, and I tell them what patterns I see. And then when we're done that, we go to the fears. I have them read the first column, what they're afraid of. I have them read the second column, why, uh, why they have the fear. I assume the third and fourth column is that they were self-reliant and it didn't work. I'm assuming they said their fear prayer. And I ask them to read that last column, what would God have me be? Mm-hmm. I ask them to tell me what patterns they see. I tell them what patterns I see. We move on to sex conduct. I have them give me who whom did they hurt. Where were they selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, and what should they have done instead? And same thing. And that way it's really concise to get to see those patterns. And then we go through, we go through those fifth-step promises. They take an hour to review that in their head, you know, review those proposals, get quiet with their higher power, come back, and we do six and seven in about 10, 15 minutes. I tell them to make their eight-step list, and on the next appointment we start step nine. So that's mm-hmm. my comfort level. Um, but other people might do it differently. Great. Um, thank you. Um, and my second question um, has to do with step nine. Um, that was very, very helpful, though. I took notes. Thank you. Um, and step nine, um, when you were talking about when to do so would hurt them or uh, – sorry, hurt others. I don't have it in front of me right now. But um, I heard you emphasize and it's not about if it hurts you. What, do you. what have you done in your experience when – the when to do the amends uh, would actually be cause uh, potentially cause physical harm, literally put you in physical danger. I mean, in that case, I've done surrogate amends, and I'm curious about your your feeling on that. Um, I, I personally have never had that experience, and that's one of the reasons that I love for my sponsees to call other people and ask for their experience. Like for example, um, I've never been married, and I don't have children. So when my sponsees talk about having an amends to an ex-husband, I have no personal experience on that. Mm-hmm. So what the beautiful part of this program is, is I tell them, call, call your fellows, because I'm having them make phone calls throughout their work step process, so they're developing relationships. They're helping to create that fellowship around them. And they can call people and ask, because I can't share an experience I do not have. I've never had mm-hmm. an amends where I had to go to someone where I might be in physical danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and just so you know, too, this is another thing. I don't have to know all the answers as a sponsor. So if, I am, if a sponsor is really struggling with something and I'm not sure, I will ask for permission, say, I'm not really sure how to, how to deal with this. Can I, would it be okay if I called some recovered people and asked for their experience? And they, if they agree, then I call other recovered people I um, use as mentors, and I ask what they think, and they, I will bring back that information to my sponsor. We do not need to have all the answers, but we have a community in which we can help with that. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Miriam L. Devorah became unavailable. That's what happened to Devorah. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Shall we do another invitation for questions, or would you like to wrap up, Kim? I feel lit up. I would love some more questions. Okay. Another opportunity. This will be our final invitation for questions. Who else? Linda R. Gladys F. Uh, Michelle. Linda R. Gladys F. Michelle D. Michelle. Kathy C. Kathy C. Reggie O. Reggie O. Linda D. Linda D. Yes. 
Okay. <clears throat> Anyone else? Okay, let's go with that. Linda R. Good morning. This is Linda R. Recovered in North Carolina. So grateful. And thank you so much, Kim, for your experience, strength, and hope. I mean, I really just love when you speak. I value everything you have to say, really. It's so wonderful. I just want to ask a very simple question. Because, you know, I, I, I think, you know, all right. My question is, when you speak of the ideals, can you please be a little bit more descriptive? And are the ideals the same as the principles and the steps? That's my question. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Um, no, the ideals are not the same as the principles and the steps. If we go back to sex conduct inventory, and I always joke, it's easy to find the sex stuff. It's all on page 69, so it's easy to find where sex is talked about. Um, in the second full paragraph, it says, we ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. Then at the bottom of the page, it says, in meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. And then on page 70, it says, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. So I take that information in. Um, and I'll just give you an example. I, I've had to change my ideals recently. I have, um, my parents are getting older. So I had this ideal of who I wanted to be as a daughter. And once again, as a daughter, regardless of how my parents behave, who do I want to be as a daughter? And with my parents aging, and I have a brother that's learning disabled, I've had to um, look at those ideals because we have to start making arrangements now of what's going to happen. My brother's probably going to wind up living with me. Um, my father's uh, arthritis is getting really bad, and, and he needs some help in that respect. We've had to have some conversations where he's given me all his banking information and where all different things are and my brother's information for his Medicaid and his caseworker and all that stuff. So I... I in each specific situation, so as, as things are changing, I am doing that. I want to give another example, um, just to kind of give an idea of a, of a step ten thing. Where um, I have some some going from my aging parents to my aging dog, but I have a dog. I've never had dogs my whole life. I wasn't allowed to as a kid. My first dog, he's thirteen now. He's not in the best of shape. Terrified. Never had a dog. You know, never had dogs know what it's like to have a dog die. So I had to do ten step work on who I want to be as a dog owner. I've done 10 step work before because, once again, I, you know, I want people to think I'm a great dog owner, so I've been mean to my dogs at certain times because I want to enjoy a certain reputation about being a dog owner. But now that he's aging, I had to look where I was selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened. How can I be an advocate for this animal versus my selfishness of wanting him to live forever and intercede on everything because I'm afraid of him dying? In addition to that, I had a lot of conversations with dog owners, so I would know what to expect. I don't know. You know, I called my vet. What do I do if he dies in the middle of the night? What does it mean to put a dog down? How much is it going to cost? What are my options to do with the body? That was important stuff, but it wasn't 10-step work. It's important that we differentiate. I had to have conversations with people about my fears with the dog to get people's experience, and then I had to do separate 10-step work on what is my ideal as a dog owner and when am I willing to intercede or not. So, for example, he's starting to have seizures, and my ideal is, you know, he does not, he, he does not want to go to that. So I handle the, the seizure, and as long as he comes back to being himself after 10, 15 minutes, I'm not bringing him to the vet. 
that's a hard ideal. But I get into prayer and meditation what to do in each specific matter, and I bring that into a 10-step, and I take that to God. Does that help a little bit? Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, Linda R. Gladys S., your turn. This is Gladys S. Can you hear me? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you, Kim, for all of your response. They've been great. Um. I, I my question is like when a person relapses and um start maybe practicing uh, some dishonesty like in their financial affairs and then they come back to program and start working the steps and uh kind of living in fear of you know what could happen because of those practices should that be something that maybe they address um, as soon as possible with their sponsor if they not if they like on step two or three or should it be something they wait until they get uh, to the fourth step and so on. Well, guys, I can just tell you my understanding is that steps one through nine get us unblocked, and steps ten, eleven, and twelve keep us unblocked. So if I pick up again, I'm blocked again. So I need to go through steps one through nine. Now, maybe I can do them more quickly, but I have to have a new experience. I think of page 25, having a deep and effective spiritual experience. If I relapse, what I was doing wasn't effective. So I have to go in. Where were those lurking notions? Where were those reservations? Um, for me personally, which I know you know, other people feel differently, everything comes back to step one for me. Because if I don't believe I'm powerless, why the heck do I care about a power? So I have to really go back to that step one stuff. And I hope this isn't offensive the way I say this, but like I always think of myself as having my period. When I have my period, my two main symptoms are I am paranoid and I am reactive. I cannot, I cannot make decisions. I had it happen this week with something going on with my brother, and I just realized I, think I, I have to just delay any kind of reaction until after my period's over because I don't make good decisions for that. I had to recognize when I am in the food and I'm coming out and I'm working through the steps, I am incapable of dealing with my fears, my resentments. They're bubbling up because I'm abstinent again, and when I get abstinent again, I feel everything. But I don't have the ability yet to deal with that information until I get through the steps again. So my personal feeling is you need to dig into steps one, two, and three, and maybe if you want, put on a list of, yeah, it's not kind of fine. Put on the list of that fear for when you get to your fourth column, when you get to your fourth step. But odds are, if it's a real fear, you're not going to need a reminder because it's going to be coming up over and over. But I had to delay decisions during my period, and I needed to delay dealing with resentments, amend everything until I worked my way through the steps because my reaction as I am in the food and getting newly abstinent is, in my, my experience, I'm going to cause more harm and have to do more amends if I do that. And wow. I hope that's clear. that's clear. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thanks, Gladys. Michelle, your turn. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Hi. Good morning. It's Michelle. Um, I did a fourth and fifth step a few months ago, and I've been around for a long time, but I was seeing how, you know, I got stuck in six and seven kind of relapse. And this time around I saw where 
a lot of my resentments and fears were over, you know, my thoughts or a sense of inadequacies and things like that. I didn't necessarily have um, a lot like people per se on the list that I had harmed with any physical action other than maybe thoughts in my mind. So how would that tie into a step nine with the amends? Like you don't make amends to people for thoughts you're having. I I don't know. Like, does that make sense? I'm not sure. Yeah, it it does. But remember, Michelle, that the inventory process is four through nine. So if you did four and five and got stuck in six and seven, you wouldn't know how to do your amends. That's why why I, I, I really try to stress the fact that six and seven is simply acknowledging what you learned in step five, asking God to remove them, and you immediately go into eight and nine. If you relapse, then you need to go back to step one because now you've chosen food over a relationship with a higher power. But that's why in step nine was powerful for me to ask people, is there anything else I need to know? I, I remember at, at work um, joking with someone, even recently, uh, I was down talking to a manager and I looked at I said, well, I can be pretty OCD. And she looked at me and she's like, no shit, Kim. And I thought, wow, I thought I, I, thought I hid that well. She realized I have these you know, controlling behaviors. So I think sometimes we really, um, and I think Dr. Bob's story tells us, he didn't want to make his amends because he didn't want anyone to know he was an alcoholic. We don't realize, I mean, I don't know about you, but like my facial expressions, I don't need to say anything. My eye rolls, my looks are disgust. I can be vicious without saying a word. You know, so for me, and I'll give you one example of an amends again. Um, it's not exactly related, but I had a sponsee that had a, a young son who had some behavior problems. And um, she, when she did her fourth column, she realized she lived in the community where being a mother was highly valued. And her fourth column was that it wasn't as much what the child was doing, it was how her, her child was making her look at her community and she was looking not like, not like a good mother. And we looked at, well, the kid's eight years old. We can't go there and, like, have a rational conversation with this kid. So what she said was, well, what I'm going to do is for two weeks, instead of looking for what this kid does wrong and, and trying to discipline him so I don't look bad in my community, I'm going to look for what he does right and I'm going to compliment him. And she called me back two weeks later and said, oh, my God, my child is changing before my eyes. I never realized how my even – even when she didn't say something, her, her, her disgust and her – her posture, because she was afraid of what her community was thinking, was resonating on her child. And as he was getting compliments, he was blossoming is the way she said it. So sometimes we don't know how it is. is if we go in and we're looking for what people are doing right, and we are, um, I mean, I mean, the men's last week to a girl that I was really tight at work and her mother was dying, I never said a word to her. So I was just so annoyed that she was asking me questions that I had work to do. And I went into her, and I just I apologized for not being helpful to her, that I was caught up in my own work, and that I know that she's going through a lot with her mother, and I apologized if I came off dismissive. And she told me how angry she was at my behavior. And I didn't say a word. It was my, act, it was my inactions, and my, even from the back of my head, she could hear my annoyance. So I think we have to, I'm going into a long explanation, but I think that this is where we can talk to people about their amends if you're not sure what your amends should be. But once again, if you picked up, you got to go back through so that you can get to that place again when you're ready to make your mind. Okay, thank you. 
Thanks, Michelle. Kathy C., your question, please. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Kim. My name is Kathy C. from Montreal. Uh, my question is, how do you carry or take a person through um, a 10-step call, either a sponsee or any member who needs to, uh, you know, have uh, their, their, do their 10 steps in the moment when they're feeling their, uh, you know, defects or when they're disturbed? Thank you. I just take them through page 84. Um, you know, someone I really respect too, but she told me this, I had to laugh. She said that when someone calls her for a 10 step, she asked, did you write down where you're selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? No, no, I just have to talk about it. Did you go to your higher power yet? No, 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 I just have to talk about it. Call me in 10 minutes when you did the work. And she hangs up on that. So sometimes I will ask somebody, do you want to talk about it or do you want to do a 10 step? And sometimes people just need to talk. But if they want to do a 10 step, I don't really, it tells us to get right into those comps. So they might tell me, my boss just yelled at me. I said, okay, so where are you being selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And we go through that. I do ask them if they've gone to God first. And then I'll ask them, what did, what did God tell you about that? Oh, I'm back into, you know, my ego. I'm back into thinking I have to be perfect or whatever that is. And I said, okay, are you ready for God to remove that? And they say yes. And then I ask them to, you know, it says, okay, now, did you do any harm? If it, a lot of times they don't, if they didn't cause harm, then they don't have to make an amends. And resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. If they're at work, I say, why don't you go ask a coworker what they need? Or on your way home, why don't you, when you stop at the CVS, ask the person at CVS how their day is going? Because it doesn't mean with, specifically with a person in OA. If my problem is I'm thinking of me, the solution is thinking of other people. So maybe when I'm driving home, let someone in who normally I would cut off in traffic. And to me, a 10-step is about, you know, five, ten minutes. Once again, this is my opinion, but I, I know people that do 10-steps that take like an hour. If, the, if my 10-step took an hour, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do the work. I need relief now. But to me, the simpler we keep this process, the simpler it is. And this is just, I'll just add this real quick. I, I would ask this question in the AA meeting with a guy and a woman. And the guy said, no, I think this is a Mars and Venus thing. He said, I have a guy call me, and he said, you know, Chris, I've been selfish, dishonest, blah. And the guy goes, he goes, did you take it to God? Yep. Okay, good, dude. Talk to you later. And they hang up. But the female talks about this complicated process. And this is just my opinion. We're dominantly women. We love to talk. We love to discuss things. I think sometimes, as because we're a fellowship with women, we complicate a very simple process. Yes, there's catharsis in discussing things, but recognize that's not step work. The step work is simply the instructions, which if, if done as, as page 84 says, takes like five, ten minutes. I hope that's helpful, Kathy. Yes, it was. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Reggie O., your question, please. Hi, thank you. Uh, Leah, and thanks, Kim. This was really great. Uh, you it seems that uh, when you're looking at four, four uh, I guess five, six, and seven, that it, you really go through, you look at the basics, the grosser handicap, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And, and you look at the uh, patterns. You say you look for the patterns that you're seeing your sponsees uh, as they, you're seeing in your sponsees as they go through the fourth step and ask them to. So could you talk a little bit about what, you're talking about and maybe give an example or two about the patterns that you see. 
I'm not clear what you're yeah. talking. I'm not clear how the how you're differentiating pattern from that growth from the basic growth or handicap. Well, the, the fourth column, um, what I honestly I pay real close attention the first 20 minutes, and usually I get it because I can now. Doesn't matter whether they're talking about the mailman, their kid's teacher, or their brother. The, the fourth column is exactly the same. The way their character defects are rubbed up against is exactly the same. And I'll, I'll give an example. I don't think my sponsor would mind me saying this, but her whole entire. Um, I don't know if she's in line right now, but her whole entire uh, fifth step was, was uh, oh, God, what's the name of that? that um, Norman Rockwell. That she has this idea of what a family should look like, and every time somebody didn't live up to it, she got pissed off. And as she was reading, you know, this pattern, and when she went to her fears, she started laughing because she's like, oh, my God, this is, this is all my fears. I just think that, that my family should be frozen in time and be looking like this Norman Rockwell picture, and when it's not, I get afraid. So that's that's the pattern. Does that make sense? Uh huh. It, it does make sense. And when you and just to follow up on that, when you get through, when you get to six and seven, uh, as a as a person doing the steps, uh, do you look at the do you do you do you speak to the patterns? Do you pray about the patterns? Like I'm the normal Rockwell in this situation, or specifically for the grocer handicapped. Well, the, the six and seven is that fourth column. So okay. you're seeing your selfishness, your dishonesty, resentment, and fear, and you're saying to God, you know, that um, you know, you're not going to figure it out anymore, good or bad, you're giving it over to him, and you're asking him to remove whatever is blocking you from being useful. So okay. I, I try to stay out of the figuring it out part, mm-hmm. and they say, okay, now I see what, you know, you start, at least from my experience, is you start to see that your husband is really irrelevant, your kids are really irrelevant. You know, the mailman is the same as your husband because you just have this idea, this play we talk about on step three, and you just invite different people on stage and get pissed off when they're not doing what you tell them to do. So when you realize that, you ask God to remove your defects. The biggest, I'll tell you my favorite, my favorite promise on page 100 is follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances are. So what that allows me to do is I see that pattern and then people can behave whatever way they want to. Whatever way they want to. And I don't have to be affected by it. You know, the first step in the sick man prayer, I love God saved me from being angry. It's not saying God saved me from my husband's awful behavior. God saved me from whatever it was like, God saved me from this political election, which has got, I mean, every fifth step I've taken in the last month is, is all about politics. <laughs> this is something I'm struggling with, which is why God gives me people that are struggling with the same thing I'm struggling with. Mm. So if I, if I, what I ask for is not to be free from the political election and what these candidates are doing. I'm asking God save me from being angry so that Hillary and Donald can be who they are and I can't be upset. And the only thing I can do is cast a vote. That's what I can do. I can't change the behavior of the Democratic and Republican Party. I, what I want to be saved is from the anger that I feel. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's the pattern. Me wanting to control. Me wanting this Jersey girl in, in New Jersey to have the rest of the 50 states think exactly like I do politically. How selfish is that? How self-seeking is that? How arrogant is that? 
So I need to be saved from that, not that other people in Kentucky and Washington State and Hawaii have to believe like I believe. Mm-hmm. That's never going to happen. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that was really helpful, Ken. Thank you. Thank you, Reggie. And our final question for this morning comes from Linda D. Hi. Hi, this is Linda D. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi, thank you. Um, thank you, Kim. Excellent talk and um, just what I needed. I've just started, um, just worked through 10, 9, 10, 11, and um, still feeling kind of floaty and shaky on all of it. So to hear today's was fabulous um, because it covered a lot. My question is about my 11th step. I've just started doing this every night, and I have a format which comes from the book. And every night when I do it, I try to do it in the way that I was taught, which is to look at selfishness, uh, you know, dishonesty, self-seeking, fearful. And I do it in a way that I did the fourth step. And the thing that was hard for me in the beginning was to learn about how to do these four pieces because if I'm not resentful, or if I, it, it seems like it's all centered around resentment. Uh, so if I'm selfish, it's a around the resentment. If I'm dishonest, it's around the resentment. If I'm fearful, it's around the resentment. And I've gotten to be pretty good at that. But what I'm feeling is that I'm missing out on some things. <laughs> Not that I'm a masochist, although I might be a little bit. But, you know, there seem to be things that I'm seeing come up over and over in my 11th step, just for the week that I've been doing it, really, that are repeating themselves. And I don't know if it's all, if all of the character defects are summed up in the RSDF, I, I think they are somehow. The main one, for example, I'll talk about is sloth. Some people call it procrastination in five syllables. I mean, sloth, procrastination is sloth in five syllables. Other people say it's fear in five syllables. But being resentful about work I have to do, not getting to be able, not, not doing it, um, feeling like I have to do it, laziness. So I feel like laziness isn't covered. Uh, I also have pain issues, which make it harder for me to do things. So I guess the bottom line question is, I want to work, I want God to help me to lift all the character defects that I've identified. And I don't know if they're all summed up in the RSDF. And if they are, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, my personal experience is they are. But if, if what, remember, in step 11, we're now connected to a power. And the big book is saying, um, you know, be quick to see where other religious people are right, make use of what they have to offer. So they're telling us, this is our time to play. You know, this is a time to be calling people and saying, what are your step 11 practices? You know, maybe find out what other authors they're reading, find out what other spiritual practices. I mean, this is when people get involved with yoga. A friend of mine in California does American Indian drumming. So, you know, you're, you're still new at this. And remember, it says a long period of reconstruction. So you're just, you're just learning the skill set right now. But I would ask, you know, encourage you to call people and expand that because it's going to have a depth and weight as you continue to do it. Maybe your experience will be that you can dig into these other words that mean, you know, sloth and, and um, other, you know, whatever those other words that you use. And that practice works for you. My feeling is I'm very results-driven. So if you are getting freedom from your practice, continue it. If you're not, you know, try something else. 
you know, I, I believe this is a, you know, our disease is progressive, our spiritual life is progressive. What I did in my 11 steps five and a half years ago is very different than what I'm doing now. I was, I've been challenged for the last year to try a new spiritual practice, and I poo-pooed on it. I just started doing it last week. It's very uncomfortable, but I committed to do it for 30 days to see if it, it resonates with my, with my higher power. So just, I'm going to tell you, play. Ask that in. It's, you know, it's not going to be on your timetable, and it may not be relieved the way you want. Once again, I think God uses our character defects. You know, I, I come off very professorial. I wish I could be more. And there's a woman in my, I go to this AME on Mondays, and I just love her because she emotes so well. I don't emote well. I'm not a, I, am, I am a very, I'm not a warm and fuzzy person. So it's for me to ask God to be more warm and fuzzy, once again, trying to practice the opposite isn't helpful to me. What I ask God is to use my professorialness. Use my black and white accounting thinking and help me to find those people that I can help with those defects. So maybe ask God into those defects. Ask them how they can be used to be helpful to other people. And continue to expand your spiritual life by, by talking to other people. And that's, that's what I said. There are certain authors that resonate with me that I love. I have other authors that people I really, you know, are spiritual mentors to me that I don't understand what those people are saying, and I, read, I tried to read a paragraph and wouldn't read any more of it, even though I know other people get a lot out of those spiritual works. So try different things on. See what resonates with your soul and work from there. I hope that's helpful, Linda. It was. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course, thank you again, Kim, for this very helpful and informative presentation this morning. We appreciate your service. Let's close from page 164 from A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.